Hi, I'm Saida Garrett, co-writer of Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror, and you're listening to Rainbow Country with Mr. Mark Tara. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the persons appearing on the program. Today on Rainbow Country, Donna Summer, I'm a rainbow, recovered and recolored. A special two-hour episode. So stay tuned for Gay Talk Radio right here on Rainbow Country. Hi, this is Emily Saliers from Indigo Girls. Hey everyone, this is Chris Harder, porn star, burlesque performer, and the creator of Porn to Be a Star. You're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara. Well, hello and welcome to a brand new journey through Rainbow Country. As I like to call it, a little gay radio show working to give voice to the LGBT community and beyond. And as always, I am your tour guide through Rainbow Country. I'm producer and host, Mark Tara. By the way, Rainbow Country originates from CIUT-FM in Toronto, the sound of your city, and now proudly in syndication on 11 outlets across Canada. So whether you're listening in the Yukon, British Columbia, the Prairies, the East Coast of Canada in the Maritimes, Ontario, even down to Buffalo, New York, and online. Well, thanks to you tuning in, streaming, downloading, but ultimately, listening. Together, we continue to build Rainbow Country into a nationally syndicated gay radio show, a number one LGBT podcast on Podomatic.com's Gay and Lesbian Chart as well as being recognized as Canada's number two LGBT podcast on Feedspot.com. So she has sold well over a 100 million albums worldwide. She's received a number of awards, including five Grammy wins in four distinct categories, R&B, Rock, Inspirational, and Dance. One of her most iconic songs, Last Dance, received the Academy Award for Best Original Song in 1979. Plus, in 2013, she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Today, Donna Summer, I'm a Rainbow, an album originally recorded in 1981 for Geffen Records. The record was originally shelved back in the early 80s by Geffen Records, but then was eventually released on CD in 1996 on Mercury Records. In 2021, 10 of the original 18 tracks have been reimagined, resulting in Donna Summer, I'm a Rainbow Recovered and Recolored. So, a bit of background. Donna Summer was originally signed to Casablanca Records back in the 70s. And by the late 70s, she was growing unhappy with her recording contract, financially and artistically. By 1980, 
Donna was out of her Casablanca contract and signed to a newly formed Geffen Records. And actually, Donna was the very first artist signed to David Geffen's Geffen Records. Her first album for Geffen Records was 1980's top 20 goal-selling album, The Wanderer. The follow-up to 1980's The Wanderer would have been 1981's I'm a Rainbow. Donna's creative team, producer Georgia Moroder, Pete Bellotti, a slew of musicians, including her husband, Bruce Sedano, they were all on board. The resulting original album consisted of 18 tracks. However, Gavin Records was not on board. The album was shelved. Gavin Records then paired Donna with legendary producer Quincy Jones, resulting in 1982's top 20 self-titled album, Donna Summer. It wouldn't be until 1996 when I'm a Rainbow would see the light of day through Mercury Records. Mind you, back in the 80s, some tracks did end up coming out. Two ended up on movie soundtracks. The track Romeo was on Flashdance, as well as the song Highway Runner ended up on the soundtrack to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Plus, let's not forget, there were some covers. Most notably, Amy Stewart. Remember her with her huge disco hit, Knock on Wood. She recorded two tracks from I'm a Rainbow, Sweet Emotion and You to Me, as well as Frida from ABBA, covered and released as a single to Turn the Stone. So now that we have a little bit of background, here is what's coming up over the next two hours. We'll hear from DJ, remixer, producer, and artist, Ladies on Mars, who's remixed a number of tracks on 2021's I'm a Rainbow. So, as you may know, Donna passed away on May 17, 2012, from lung cancer. That being said, we will hear from the Q of D, the First Lady of Love, the Queen of Disco herself. But when I return, I'll be joined by Michael Nidas, Global Commercial Manager for Demon Music Group Limited, who has released I'm a Rainbow, Recovered and Recolored. Hi everybody, this is Gino Vanelli. You're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara. Michael Nidas, hi, how are you? I'm good, Mark. Thank you very much for uh, asking me on your show today. Well, thank you for being here to have your voice, your story be heard by the LGBT community and beyond. So thank you for that, especially to talk about Donna Summer's I'm a Rainbow Recovered and Recolored. This is the the latest record from Donna Summer or the Donna Summer Estate. So a little bit of, 
a background. She passed away on May 17th, 2012 from lung cancer. So let's start here. I'm a rainbow. 2021's I'm a rainbow. Whose idea was it to uh, put this record out to uh, reproduce it, remix it, and re-release it? Whose idea was it to do that? Um, Without sounding me, 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 uh, what we do as a catalogue marketing record company when we're looking at all of our artists' legacy and how we can bring it to a new generation and seeing what else we can do. Uh, It was part of the reissue program that we started looking at when we first started discussing with Donna when she was still here and uh, and Bruce about what we could do with this later part of the catalogue that was largely underappreciated in as much when people were comparing it to, to the Casablanca period. So we always were looking at various anniversaries of what we could do over certain times and how we can bring it to today's market and just update things, not necessarily uh, make them better because you can't improve on the original, but how we can then just make it accessible for people to go back and revisit her entire catalogue. And this particular album came out of an idea. I was on vacation uh, in, in Los Angeles and whenever I'm away, try to meet up uh, with, with the estate. And we just talk about plans for the future. And about 2017, 2018, we were talking about the plans for the next two or three years. And we knew that in 2019, we had the 30th anniversary of Another Place and Time. Then in 2020, we had the 40th anniversary of The Wanderer, which is where um, the genesis of taking a few tracks and uh, updating those reimagining those uh really start to take place and of course we knew in 2021 we had the 40th anniversary of i'm a rainbow when it was supposed to be released but it also coincided with the 25th anniversary when it eventually did come out so what i suggested to uh, bruce sadano was how would he feel if we took a selection of tracks from the album so we reduced it down to maybe 10 tracks, but remix the entire album so we can see the strength of those songs, but have a thread running right the way through it. Uh, and to, to make it, as I said, more accessible, but to give it that up-to-date feel, but involving a lot of different remix producers from around the world, from different continents. And this is that was where the whole thing started. And this is what, over the last couple of years, we've been able to get to that point. So you mentioned that you uh, met with with Donna, and uh, my understanding is you you guys met over lunch or something. What prompted that that initial meeting, that face to face meeting? Was there talks on uh, Demon Music Group uh, doing this back then? Yes, it was. Um... At the time, about 2009-2010, there was still the the compilation, the various artists, TV advertised collections were still very, very big business, uh, especially in CD. This is really before download and streaming really started to to take off. And the one thing I noticed was that 
whenever you saw a compilation of, of 80s material, that uh, Donna was conspicuous by her absence. You didn't get many compilations that had um, This Time I Know It's For Real, which was a, a top three UK hit and, a, and part of that Stock Aiken Waterman produced album uh, from 1989. You rarely saw Lovers in Control. You rarely saw Dinner, uh, Dinner with Gershwin. Mm-hmm. You rarely saw State of Independence. So I thought, well, there's got to be something wrong because we knew that it was part of a different deal and it was after she'd left uh, Casablanca. So I started looking into it and then just put a, an email out to her attorney just to see what the uh, what the situation was and if they had any arrangements in place. Uh, and if not, was it something they'd be interested in discussing with us? So that was in early 2010 and we opened a dialogue. And then I think Donna and Bruce were coming over to the UK for a, a, a private event. So it was arranged that we meet up and just discuss this possibility. You know, we, we know it was just, we thought, well, at least give us a chance. You know, we, we never know what's going to happen with these things sometimes, but it was, it was worth the opportunity to at least show what we wanted to do, explain how we could make it work in the UK and into Europe and, and just take it from there. And that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, a year or so later, Donna passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everything was in abeyance until all the formalities were able to be sorted out. Mm-hmm. And then we were approached if we were still interested, which we were. And we eventually started working with the catalogue in uh, the middle of 2014. Mm. And here we are in 2021. And here we are in 2021. <laughs> and I just don't know where those years have gone, <laughs> even though these seven years. And, and I'm very much aware that we're, we're barely six, seven months away from the 10th anniversary of Donna's passing. And I just don't know where that time has gone. So you are the global commercial manager for Demon Music Group Limited. So global commercial manager, talk to me about what that is and what that entails. I suppose because we have varying rights uh, for me, there's some just the domestic or various multiple territories or even worldwide when we work with certain catalogs and certain artists it's how we can um, develop reissues and working with partners internationally to be able to get the best out of the the catalog and as we've seen uh, there seems to be a lot of interest as people are rediscovering music from the past or a younger generation being excited by discovering for the first time so the commercial side of it is really how we look after rights management and then product management for actually putting the projects together and how we can get it out there and how we can make it available and how we can get people interested in, in hearing it or he's talking about it. Uh, and, and that's, I'm just one part of an organization. So yeah, there are many, many moving parts that make these things work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm just one of them. So my understanding is that this really all started for you back in the day, getting your career started when you answered an ad in a newspaper and you landed a job at Polydor Records. Is that correct? Well, your researcher or you are absolutely incredible. That, that is it. That is absolutely right. And so uh, that, that's, <laughs> and that started your, your journey on this road that you're on. And now you're with Demon Music Group. And how long have you been with Demon Music Group? 24 years. 
and a, and a few months. <laughs> Sorry, say that again. 24 years and three months. 24 years and three months. Nobody's counting. <laughs> Nobody's counting, but... <laughs> So, um, so why did yeah. you want to get into the world of entertainment in the first place? Very simply, I, I, I loved music from a kid. I was always exposed to music from, from a very young age. Uh, my, I had two older cousins, uh, five and eight years older than me, and we were really close as, as kids, and we lived opposite each other. So if my mum was out or whatever, they'd always look after me and, I'd go over to them or I'd just hear music that they were playing. And being five and eight years older than me, I'd be exposed to music that was that much older than me. So when you're you're two and three and they're seven and eight or 11 and 12, you get to hear a a very disparate type of of music. So I I always had music uh, around me when I was growing up. At home, we had the radio on. Uh, My parents used to let me uh, put singles on on (laughs) the record player. Uh, and somehow I knew what the records were. I couldn't read, but it was the different color record labels. And the problem was if I had two or three singles by the same artist that I like, then I, you know, Little Squiggle was one title and The Longer Squiggle was a different title. And it, it, it was just really, I was interested. I was fascinated with, um, with music. Um, I have to say I'm completely talentless in, in terms of, of playing and production <laughs> and anything um, that is really meaningful for it mm-hmm. but it was something I, I just always loved and and always took with me and and as I got older into my early teens you know was it was I more interested in in soccer or music and it was a bit of both I'd go go to a lot of soccer football matches but music was starting to really uh take and play a big really big part in in my social activity and my and my personal well-being I, I just love listening to music all the time all different times uh but i suppose back in the mid mid 70s early mid 70s when i was still quite young i just happened to like this this happy sound at which became soul and disco and mm-hmm. i didn't know that disco really came from the underground um and coming out of an e- economic downturn where it was the only way of escapism uh, I did, didn't have a clue. I was a kid. I just loved the sound of, of what I could hear, the rhythm, the groove, um, the guitars, the drums, the hi-hats. The hi-hats. The hi-hats. <laughs> when you hear some of those, you think they're just so overplayed. Mm. But it was just really on, on that basis. But I still had a really eclectic taste in music uh, and, and never, you know, things I'd appreciate but not necessarily like. And then I had a lot of favourite artists, whose music I loved, but I didn't like all of their tracks. You, know, you can't love everything. And you've got to be honest, if you, if you don't like everything, you've got to, got to say that. Yeah. But, but, I, but I had, had that, uh, I was working uh, for, uh, for a company and they were going to be relocating to a different part of the UK. And I could have stayed with a different division in London, but I thought, well, you know, it, was my, it was my first job from school. And I thought, well, that was just something really unique and different. And I don't want to, not be with the same people I was working with. Some as would just look for look for a job elsewhere, and the small ad in in the paper, and uh, it was a Polydor. So uh, I applied, and uh, and I uh, I was successful. You sure were. Isn't Paul is Polydor still around today? It's a label within the massive Universal Music Group. It's just one small part of of the um of that incredible incredible company 
Hi, everyone. This is Mark Tewksbury, Olympic champion, leader, humanitarian. You're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara. So Demon Music Group has the rights to a number of Donna Summer albums, the ones uh, 1980 onward. Uh, So what albums are those? It's The Wanderer, now uh, I'm a Rainbow, the self-titled Donna Summer album. She works hard for the money. Is that included? No, that's Mercury, because after Donna appeared on the Flashdance soundtrack, um, it, by all accounts, it was remembered that she owed them a contractual album. So that was the issue. It's hard for the money. Was that album that they then she then um, recorded for for Mercury uh, Polygram at the time? I think uh, it was produced by Michael Amartian. So uh, so that was the album that's with with uh, Universal. But then the next one was Cats Without Claws in '84. Then 87 was All Systems Go. 89, Another Place and Time. Then when it did come out, um, uh, actually, no, the next one was Mistaken Identity in 91. And then when it did come out in 1996, I'm a Rainbow. Mm. And what about Crayons? That's Sony. Okay. That was 2008 from Sony. Okay. And what about, a, a what is it, Christmas Spirit? That was also universal. Okay. And what about the singles? Singles like uh, I Got Your Love and To Paris With Love. Like, do you guys have the rights to those as, as well? Oh, we do with um, with specific licenses because that's co-owned with uh, uh, with Bruce Roberts. Well, To Paris With Love is co-owned with, with Bruce Roberts, I believe. Uh, I'd have to check, but... Um, we have license. I've got your love, and I can't think where, where we got that from. But we we have to have a, a, a different license uh, for utilising that recording. I'm a Rainbow, originally recorded in 1981 on Geffen Records. It was shelved back then. In 1996, it was released on, I believe, Mercury Records on CD. The original recording had 18 tracks on it. This release, 2021's. I'm a Rainbow has 10. How did you guys decide what songs would make it onto this new version? Uh, really difficult because the you know you're always going to upset some people by not having all their favourites. Because you, 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 you can't please everyone, but you want to try and make something that actually does work. And the, the, main, the main thought process behind this album was to, to have a start middle and an end it needed to work digitally so if you're listening to an album in sequence on cd or stream and as an lp it had to work with a side break where you've got a a good end of side one and it would work as a good side two but without changing the running order on the alternate formats and there were certain tracks that you just knew had had to retain be retained on the album and romeo because it was the biggest non-single release from Flashdance. How could you ignore that? Mm-hmm. Then there Didn't was... that soundtrack uh, take Michael Jackson's Thriller off the charts? 
the soundtrack to Flashdance. Yeah, I I believe you could be right there. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was just a phenomena, absolute, uh, incredible, incredible soundtrack and some some great, great songs on there. But, uh, you know, looking at at I'm a Rainbow, you know, one of the songs I I absolutely adore is is True Love Survives. Uh, And that, that was one of the first tracks that I thought, it's got to be on there just just couldn't make it work in what we're trying to trying to achieve as well really michael Uh, needus you couldn't make that that sucker work no (laughs) well because we didn't in as much as like well which which other tracks do we take off me bruce came up with um with a great suggestion at the end uh with leave me alone he said, because the lyrics are so relevant today. And it's really powerful, really powerful. Um, and, uh, and, and he was right. He was absolutely right. Uh, you know, it's Melanie, people love Melanie, people talk. Uh, you know, Runner with a Pack. You know, Highway Runner was a film soundtrack. Uh, it was on that, it was on Fast Times at Rid- mm-hmm. Ridgemont High. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, but out of all of them as well, what, the new album or the re reimagined album has shown is how great the actual songs are forget recordings the actual songs yeah. because they still stand up today and that shows how great those songwriters were yeah. uh Nicky Forsey, how Falsmeyer, Georgia, mm-hmm. Pete, Donna um even her her take on, on Don't Cry For Me Argentina I mean look at that live performance yeah. at um, in the hot summer night in yeah. 1983 yeah uh, you know they're, they're, they're just they're just great songs they are just great songs so there there are a number of producers on on I'm a Rainbow uh, there's LaFlex there's Oliver Nelson uh, Figo Sound Ladies on Mars who I'll be chatting with later as well as Junior Vasquez who's worked with Madonna uh, Whitney Houston, Janet Jackson. So here's the question. The tracks that those people worked on, what did they get? Did they get an acapella? Did they get the individual uh, tracks, the stems? Talk to me about what the producers got. We provided the, the um, we provided them with everything, mm-hmm. and they remolded and recreated what they needed to do to get the, the different sounds they wanted. And they were selected because of their own various expertise in certain styles of music. Uh, you've mentioned Ladies on Mars. Uh, I mean, I, I only came across him early 2020. Uh, I was just looking some stuff on the internet and on YouTube, and I found a reworking of Donna's uh, Need a Man Blues, which was one of her earlier album tracks. Uh, he'd done a reworking called Need a Blues Band. And it, he'd just taken the track and just given it uh, a hybrid disco and new disco feel to it. And I just thought, this sounds really good. So I just started looking at what else he'd been working on. And I thought, crikey, he could be really good for a few tracks, on for the up-tempo tracks for the reimagined I'm a Rainbow. Uh, so I looked at different producers for for different styles because of what they had done but also what they could bring uh but also retaining the authenticity of the original recording and having worked with laflex and uh figo sound in italy uh before on, on the wanderer 
uh, I knew that there were certain tracks that they would be absolutely perfect to do if they felt comfortable enough to do it. Because the beauty about working with, with these these handful of um, really talented producers is that they won't just do it just for the sake of it. There's got to be a reason and they've got to feel they can add, add value to it and make it authentic. They won't just do it because it's a job. And that way, you know, they're putting their heart and soul into it. And that was really important to, to the, the process mm-hmm. for this project. So Georgie Moroder, he originally produced the 1981 I'm a Rainbow, at least the versions that that were released in 96. Was there ever any talk at all of having Georgie Moroder be part of this project? No, there hadn't been. Um, Giorgio has his own life and career and what he does. And sometimes if you want to revisit and bring it forward, you need to take it forward, but still, as I said, retain that that originality with it. Um, the album was co-produced by Georgia and, and Pete Bellotti, but uh, Pete, we're we're quite close with. He's always been very helpful and uh, in imparting pearls of wisdom, um, anecdotes, um, the history behind certain recordings, what happened in the studio, and he's he's been a, a wonderful supporter for what we've done. Uh, Giorgio, we licensed some tracks directly from him for the Encore box set that we released in early 2020, which was this big box set with all of her albums in one box, plus some extra CDs with uh, other remixes and mixes and singles and non-album tracks on there. So the idea was to just work with these, these new producers on this project. Okay, so... ABBA recently released uh, a, a new record of theirs, uh, Voyage, their first one in, in what, like 40 years? And, that, yeah. I, and I think they, they were just recently nominated for their, I think, their first ever Grammy. That's, that's crazy to think of. Okay, but Frida, who's one of the singers in ABBA, released a solo album in 1982 called Something's Going On. Produced yep. by Phil Collins. And on that album, she does a version of To Turn the Stone, yep. which was a single on Frida's solo album. The original version of that song is on Donna's uh, original version of I'm a Rainbow that was done in 81. But it's not in this new version, 2021's I'm a Rainbow. Why wasn't To Turn the Stone not in this new I'm a Rainbow. We wanted to keep it as a single, a single album, single LP um, for the main part. In the, in the past, I love an album. I'm, I'm old fashioned in some respects. I love an album. If it's a brand new album, you need to connect with it. And it's very difficult to connect with a brand new album with 15, 16 tracks. I like nine or 10 tracks when that, that's how it was. As I said, trying to select 10 tracks out of 18, there were going to be songs that were going to be omitted. There are a couple that I really wanted to include, but just couldn't get it right. But it was looking at the songs that were going to, I just felt felt right and could could be worked that way. And when I 
went through the listing and suggested them to Bruce. He was happy to, to go with the selection. You know, and he also very much has his input and suggestions. And um, we don't really say anything without their final say-so and approval. So we don't just take something and run with it on our own. We work very closely with with the estate to to make sure that they're happy with the execution of what we put out in in Donna's name. Mm-hmm. So the fact that that particular song to turn the stone was a single from from Frida that that didn't necessarily carry any weight or anything. You just no because because it's Donna. Mm-hmm. Donna Frida is unique. Agnetta is unique. Donna is unique. Barbara Streisand is unique. Mm-hmm. And you have to be true to that artist rather than just try and think, well, maybe Abba's album might come out, might be good. We didn't know about Abba's album at the time we started to work on this. Right. So that, that was the other thing. They, they, you know, I know they said, oh, it's coming out later in the year, but it wasn't really that much time between the, the announcement and when it actually was coming out. So it wasn't as if it was a build up next year, there's going to be the brand new Abba album. It's next year, there might be one or two Abba songs that they've been talking about, yeah. but no one knew there was going to be an entire album. And these things we've been working on, as I said, for two, three years. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the artwork. Is this like artwork from 81? No. So how, how talk to me about the, the images that are part of this, this I'm a rainbow 2021 version again discussing with bruce he said to me what are we going to do on the artwork are you planning to use the artwork from the original album and i said no because when the album did come out it was a photo from a different period anyway um i said i want to do something different something special what have you got in the archive that you have and you, you have the rights for us to be able to use that you would like to see. So he just sent me some, uh, just some very low res versions of five or six photographs. And I went, oh my God, they're, they're just amazing. He goes, oh. he goes, slow down. You can't have them all. I went, okay, well, how many? He goes, what do you need? I went, well, four would be great if we can, but yeah, let's, that, that's fantastic. So they selected the ones they felt were going to be best. I said that I'd like this one for a front cover if the quality is good enough. Um, and then we looked at it and then he, he went off with the family and looked at them. And then they said, right, you can have these four photos for the, for the artwork. Can you make it work? I said, we'll make it work. And so those are authentic original photos then. Yes, they are. That no one has ever seen before. And she's just wearing a rainbow colored hat for yeah, yeah or, or but i'm just i'm just looking at the lp myself now i don't know if it was um a, a multitude of, of feather boas just all woven together mm. or if it's just single individual ones that have just been placed around i don't know but it's just it was just something so visually stunning mm-hmm. that we thought yeah it's it it's an album cover and do you know when they were taken? Is there any backstory? Do you know of? Um, well, no, they were taken at, around that time. They were taken around that time. Yeah, about eighty eighty one. Because they're amazing. I love them. They are. They are just simply beautiful. I'm. I'm. I'm looking at the front cover mm-hmm. of the LP myself right now. And, and, and you um, said it is 
an album cover. Do you know who took it? Uh, Harry Langdon. Well done, Harry Langdon. He has a great YouTube channel with some great Donna Summer stories, uh, taking some of the uh, some iconic photos that ended up being album covers. Mm. Do you think, because you are in touch with Bruce Sedano, who is Donna's husband and, you know, the estate, are there plans to release any new material over the next little while? Do you know of anything? Uh, they're looking to see what there was. I mean, they're, I suppose, back in the 70s, as Pete Bellotti has said time and time again, we only recorded what we wrote and we only wrote what we needed. There weren't this plethora of unreleased tracks that are just sitting in archives. That tended to happen for a lot of artists mid-80s onwards, where they'd always record, record, record. So... Yes, there there probably are songs available. Uh, well, not available, but there are songs that probably have been recorded. Uh, a lot of Donna's fans know of many, many recordings that have been made or have been leaked or have been heard, but they're all owned by different companies at the time. Um, and for various reasons, they weren't released. If something says do not use, it means do not use in 30 years, it means do not use full stop. They've got to get artist, or in this case, the estate permission. They might need the producer. They might need the actual record company marketing department, who was the record company at the time they were recorded. There are so many um, hurdles that, that any company has to go through to look at unreleased material. Uh, but Bruce has been looking um, lately through through the archive and they're trying to find what might work uh, from a later period if there is stuff that's in good enough condition that they feel can be looked at, then they'll review and we'll we'll discuss it. But until I get told anything like that, I just say, as far as I'm aware, there isn't anything because I don't know what's what there could be or what there isn't. And there's a word of a, an official documentary. Do you know anything about that? I know it's been in the uh, in the planning stages for you know, a couple of years, maybe longer. And Brooklyn, their daughter, their their older daughter, uh, has been working on that quite um, quite frantically. And uh, that's probably coming to fruition in the next, I should imagine, twelve to eighteen months, maybe sooner. But I haven't heard how far down the line that actually is. And in regards to Demon Music Group, what's coming up next for for you guys? In in general, or or with with Donna? Both. Well, we're always uh, always reinventing the wheel because we're not, but uh, we're always looking at uh, the catalogs of the artists we represent and look after, see what more we can do with the catalogs. You know, let's let's face it, next year it's forty years. For the um, the self titled Donna Summer album, so we're looking at various things that might possibly be looking at that, uh, and we're looking ahead with other artists we've been working with uh, and their catalogs, Dead or Alive, for example, who had a big international hit with You Spin Me Round. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were more than just a, a one hit wonder, very successful in in the Far East in Japan, and we look after their later recordings. Uh, we also look after the Average White Band 
Leo Sayer, who's um, who's just an incredible, incredible songwriter. Probably best known for When I Need You and You Make Me Feel Like Dancing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, which um, You Make Me Feel Like Dancing earned him uh, a Grammy. Mm. So we look after uh, his recordings um, and uh, really going back back to the early period in 1972. So there, there are many artists we look up to, T-Rex, Belinda Carlisle, uh, Suede, the London Suede, uh, Kiki D, uh, and many, many other artists. And I'll probably get get uh, emails from off the office when they say you've forgotten to mention this artist <laughs> and that artist. But, but there's some great labels as well. We look after Easy Street, which was an you know, 80s, 90s dance house label. We look after Sam Records. Um, on behalf of Michael Weiss, you know, because it was his his late father's label. So we have Gary's Gang and Vicky D and Conversion and uh, uh, Steve Shelto and David First. And so you have great dance catalogue there. So there's lots of different things we're looking at as well. We have Holland Dozier Holland. We look after their material. We have Brunswick. So there's there's many different types of recordings and a very disparate range of genres that we look after. And we have a really good team of, of people who are into all different styles of music and, and are very knowledgeable. And we work with some very respected consultants on, on certain things. And some consultants, when they start to speak to the artists, know more about the artist than the artist can remember themselves. But those were the heady, heady days of being a rock star. You probably didn't remember everything. So now that I'm a rainbow is out, how are you feeling? Um, very proud mm-hmm. that we were given permission to revisit the album. I think uh, everything we do when we're working, you know, whatever we do, everything is everything in business and everything in the industry is hard. But we have an easier job because the artists who were having those hits 25, 30, 40, 50 years ago. They really went through it. They're the ones who worked hard. They're the ones who have given this legacy for all record companies to now take on to next generations, to, to listen to, to discover, to enjoy. Uh, and also the, the art of an album. Has it been lost? Is it too much track-based now? That's how it goes. But that's why in the UK we have National Album Day. So it doesn't matter on what format an album's released is to reintroduce people to listen to the art of an album from track one to the final track without skipping it, without changing order. Just listen to it right the way through. The artist sequenced it in this way and there's a reason why they sequenced it in a way uh, and that's what they want. I think even Adele asked Spotify to remove the um, the um, the resequence button on her on the new album 30 because she said, I haven't spent all my time Uh, sequencing it for people to just listen to it in a different order. So in in closing, is there a message that you'd like to say to the Donna Summer hardcore fans out there? Is there something that that maybe you, uh, a message that you would like to pass on, Demon Music would like to pass on in regards to, uh, you know, her her legacy and, and her music? Well, as I said, we feel very privileged and very honoured to be working on on such great, iconic back catalogue by all of our artists. Um, Donna Winner has some very 
vocal fans and they still want her to be seen as the as the, the queen that she actually was she was the queen of disco she was an amazing unique singer she could sing the song the, the phone book you know anything in front of her she just had this amazing range in her voice everything we do we do with good heart we're not just doing things just for the sake of it we're working very closely with the estate to make sure it's right nothing comes out without their say so so we're not riding roughshod over anything uh we do the best that we can we always strive to look to do more we strive to be better we really appreciate the feedback uh and we respect all fans comments you, you have to accept everything good bad indifferent but nothing we do is done without good heart Michael Needus well said well done well produced thank you so much for your time thank you mark it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you Donna Summer I'm a rainbow recovered and recolored is out now wherever you get your favorite music and to find out more about Demon Music Group the artists that they represent as well as Michael Needus you can find them all on the website demonmusicgroup.co.uk Hi, this is Police Constable Danielle Botno, also known as LGBT Cop, and you're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Terra. This is hour two of a special episode of Rainbow Country. And in this hour, we'll hear from the Queen of Disco herself. I actually have two short clips of Donna talking about, believe it or not, I'm a rainbow and her connection to Canada. But when I return, I'll be joined by DJ, remixer, producer, and artist, Jonathan Douglas Braverman, a.k.a. Ladies on Mars. Ladies on Mars, hello, how are you? Hi, Martara, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. I have to say, Ladies on Mars, thank you for being here to have your voice, to have your story be heard by the LGBT community and beyond. So thank you for that. Let's let's start here with yourself. You are a remixer. You are a producer. You are a DJ. Talk to me about how you got into music originally in the first place. How did this all come about for you? Well, first, I want to thank you for inviting me for this amazing uh, interview. And I want to apologize if my English is not perfect because it's not my native uh, language, so uh, I will try to do my best. Well, um, when I start with the music, uh, well, oh my God, um, I think it's a long time ago. <laughs> I think was when I was um, a younger, very very younger. Maybe I have, uh, maybe I was uh, 
four or five years old. Mm. You were uh, a young ladies on Mars. Yeah, no, no. I, I was <laughs> Jonathan before ladies on Mars. Ladies on Mars comes uh, a lot of years later. But um, I remember I saw a, a, the video clip of Thriller from Michael Jackson on the TV. And that was my first touch with music. And that video touched me in the first moment that I saw it. So my mind, my, my eyes was very open with that video and say, oh, my God, it is amazing. I think that was my first uh, touch with music with Michael Jackson. Wow. Wow. I love Michael Jackson. Yes. Did you I'm start? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Did you start out as a DJ then? No, no. I um, I start uh, to producing music before I start to playing music. So I I, I start um, all the DJs start first uh, playing music like DJ. And then making music. Well, I, I switched that. <laughs> I started making music first, and uh, six or six or yes, six years later, I start to play like a, a DJ. So y- you started out as a as a producer, a music producer, and then you got into to DJing, like you were just saying, like some six years, six years later. Yes. Talk to me about Marshall Jefferson, who is a legend in the world of house music. In 2014, Rolling Stones inducted his track, Move Your Body, in the 20 Best Chicago House Records list. You had a track on Marshall Jefferson's record company, Freakin' 909. How did that come about for you? Yes, yes. I have not one track only. I have a a full release on NEP of three tracks. And then I I made a a remix for them. Um, Was very very crazy because I I sent the demo in the end of... uh, uh, 2028 in the end of 28 and I don't don't think uh, they will reply me <laughs> so mm-hmm. I you know okay I will say that mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I received the the reply from the label uh, I don't remember the guy who replied me uh, but it's no, it, it wasn't was a Marshall Jefferson. Was other guy. I don't. I don't remember the name. Um, he told me that he loves the track and that he wants to um, rele- release it as an EP. So for me, it was oh my god. So I I, I think I was um, how to say. Uh, I'm searching for the word champion, champion on you know on the place in on my house mm-hmm. because I was very very excited, very happy about that, 
Mm. Um, I would think so. Yes. 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 And I never believe that I can release a, a track or an album or a EP on the Marshall Jefferson record label. You know, that's what very crazy for me. Mm-hmm. Your debut record 2020's Boogie on Time spent a number of weeks on various DJ sites. How does it yeah. feel having your your debut record be a hit essentially on on these DJ sites? Yes, well, oof. Uh, it was uh, difficult to paint. It's difficult to paint my emotion, but I feel a lot of happiness. You know, butterflies in the stomach for the first time in so long. The world was beginning to discover my to discover my music and discover me and. Now I and in that moment, uh, I know that people like my music. So was I think, I think it was the first time that I feel that that the people like my music, you know, and that and and know that somebody is listening to me. Mm-hmm. Someone hears you. Yes. Yeah, and they like what they hear. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I have to. I have to ask the name, ladies on Mars. What is the story behind this name? Well, well, you know, uh, I'm I'm gay, and I always feel different from when I was younger, when I was a kid. Um, I think uh, when I was when I was young, I don't like uh, to play soccer, you know, like other boys. Mm-hmm. I always be uh, sentimental and likes more the arts, the music. And, uh, I always proud, you know. I, sometimes I I, I wake up uh, I wake up at seven a.m. on Saturday to only draw. <laughs> you know that that was me, and so when I'm looking for a name that identifies me as who I, who I am as person and artist at the same time, um, I was thinking about where we are from. You know, everybody everybody say that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm not a, only a man and not only a woman. For me, a gay is a mixture of men feelings and women's feelings. So I thought, a gay man, where will be from? You know, where he will be from? So I think um, it's, it's like a, a lady who is from Venus, but on Mars. Mm-hmm. So it's a woman on Mars. So I I choose ladies because I like the 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 sound of the ladies and it's more chic the name Hi I'm singer-songwriter Steve Grand you're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara
So there's there's a new Donna Summer album that's out that you are intimately involved with. So here's the question. When did you first get turned on to Donna Summer's music? Well, the first time I listened to Donna was uh, when I was on, at the high school, I think so. In high school? Yes, yes, I, in high school. But I, I saw the movie Flashdance with my sister, Natalia. And I, the first track I listened was Romeo, you know? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. That was my first track from Donna. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a great it, movie, by the way. It's an amazing movie. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And the music and everything, the, the, the dancers and, you know, and I thought I have, um, I was something like 12 years old or 11. I don't remember exactly. But I was very younger. And, and me and my sister listen music on, on movies because on my house, my mom and my dad don't listen to much music. So <laughs> I was the first one who, who buy a, a, how do they, a, a jukebox to play mm, music. A jukebox, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. so for us, it was a, a, a little different from other families because mm-hmm. we don't listen to much music. And Romeo was your introduction to Donna Summer. Yes. Interesting. Yes, of course. Interesting. Yes, and, yes. and it, it's weird because I remix it. <laughs> so Donna Summer, I'm a Rainbow, Recovered. And recolored. This is the new record, the new album that's out now. How did you get involved in this project originally? Talk to me about this, how you got involved in this. Well, that's thanks to the lockdown. Thanks to the lockdown, I start to making rewards because you know nobody can DJs can go out to play, so events are cancelled, gigs are cancelled. So well. Um, I decided to make my rewards uh, in the lockdown, and I I I think I, I make a little noise in Europe, in other countries, and a guy uh, from Netherlands named Casper uh, Shansen contact me because he said that he loves my rewards and he wants to. Um, contract me to, to uh, how to say it, um, to hire me for uh, to make uh, remixes for for his his music. Mm-hmm. So that was the beginning mm-hmm. or a little friendship, and mm-hmm. um, I don't remember if two or three or three months later, uh, he told me in an email. How wonderful will be if I can make an official remix for Donna Summer? And I said, oh, that would be fantastic. And then he told me, well, I'm a very fan of Michael Naidoo from Demon Music, who is preparing the next Donna Summer um, album, you know? 
Um, and he told me, I can't talk with him um, and tell him how amazing are your music and to, and, and th- and to considerate you for the, this project. Mm. Of course, I said, please, <laughs> would be great, <laughs> you know. And, and for me, it was very, very sweet from, from Casper because uh, nobody um, made that before, you know, for me. Something, it was, for me, it was very lovely from Casper to introduce me to, to Michael. Um, well, that's the, the beginning of the, my, 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 my rewards, my remixes for Donna Summer. So how, how did you end up deciding what tracks that you would produce on this new uh, Donna Summer, I'm a Rainbow uh, release? Well, this was... Um, uh, Michael decided to... to every producer decide which track wants to or would like to remix. So I remember that Michael sent me uh, an email introducing me the project and and asking me if I want to to participate in this beautiful project. Of course, I say yes. And then I remember the second mail was okay. I will send you the the original album so you can listen to and. Uh, choose one track to you would like to remix. That was uh, the, the the idea of, of Michael. And I remember I listened a full album. I don't remember four or five times. But in the in the first time I I, I listened to, I fall in love with Brooklyn. You know, and when I start to listen Brooklyn. I, I just uh, saw in the future in the, the club, in the club, a track in a club, you know, something more with more dance, dance beats. That was my first uh, thought on Brooklyn. So Donna Summer, I'm a Rainbow was originally recorded in 1981. It was shelved by her then record company, Geffen Records. But it was released on CD in 1996. You ended up producing five tracks on I'm a Rainbow, Recovered, and Recolored. Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, Brooklyn, Romeo, where you saw back when you were a kid in Flashdance, Highway Runner, and Leave Me Alone. I want to talk about two of the tracks in particular. Let's start with Leave Me Alone. To me, it seems like there are two different musical styles in one song. For me, the the verses seem very Eurodisco, and the chorus is more house. For to my yes. ears, that's what I that's what I I I I get from that one particular song. You have great ears. Well, talk to me about how you approached producing the song. Then, how did this? How did you approach it? Well. The um, the original track was more like a rock, the yeah, rock track. So and 
now I'm a, a new disco producer, so I try to to bring it the track to more to the disco disco sound, disco sound, disco style. And I like the idea that the chorus have a, a piano, like a, like a 90s house style, you know. And I, I think that will be, will be great for, for the, the, new, the new version of this track, Leave Me Alone. Uh, so for that reason, the, the, in the chorus have a, a piano, a 90s piano, that bring it uh, to the eight, to the 90s era. And I think, uh, I, I, I like the way that, that it sounds, no? you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's more, the sound, it sounds more like, like the sound of today. And the verses? Did you put more of an 80s bend to it? I, I, no, my first, my first idea was to give it a more uh, 70s disco sound. But the original track was very 80s. So I tried to, to, to leave some 80s sound. Hi, I'm Keegan Hurst, former professional rugby player, coach, raving homosexual, and you're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara. The other track, and you were talking about this because this was the first track that that stuck out to you that you said you wanted to essentially remix and produce, Brooklyn. Talk to me about how you chose to uh, approach your version, essentially, of of this track because it's it's faster than the original. Yes, yes, I know. It's, it's more faster than the original. Um... Uh, when I the first time I uh, I listened to Brooklyn, I fall in love from of the bass had an an amazing bass uh, bass line, and that motivated me to to make a dance version, you know, because I I I, I listened to it in my mind that can be a great dance mid tempo song, so that was my first. Uh, First idea on Brooklyn, but I was afraid that Bruce Willen don't like the idea to, you know, to um, make it more danceable, danceable. But thanks God, Bruce loved it. <laughs> so, Bruce Sedano. Yes, Bruce Sedano. Yeah, Donna's Donna's husband. Exactly. Yes. So did he approve of your? the everyone's remixes then yes you've performed at gay pride in buenos aires to a crowd of what like a hundred thousand people a sea of humanity in front of you what was that experience like for you that's a big crowd from another planet yes from another planet a lot of ladies a lot of ladies on mars there (laughs) 
yeah, yeah, a lot of. Mm. I'm born from Venus too. <laughs> there is, um, I never, I, I don't, I don't know a man who who goes to the gay pride normally. I don't go because I, I think you can be proud of yourself uh, with all of the different way, you know. Uh, I, I'm proud uh, of myself with my music, with the person I am, with how I I, I I express myself, and I don't need a march for that. But I think it's, it's you you need to be proud proud of yourself every day in every moment, and you don't need a, a, you know a pride or say hey I'm here. I don't, I don't, I don't need that. So, but in that case, uh, um, a company called me and they want, and they told me that they want to, to play in the gay pride. Of course, I say yes. And I never uh, thought that was uh, so many people there. So I never thought, uh, I, I never expect too many people. So for me it was, wow. So, and I play disco and I play house and for me it was amazing because people was dancing and singing with my music, with disco music, you know. And Argentina is not too much for, for the disco. It's more techno, it's more progressive. Really? It's more cumbia, yes. Okay. It's not disco here. Okay. So it's very difficult to play here. Mm. And 2022, yes. what's coming up for you in 2022? Uh, well, some remixes with, I'm working with Dennis, and some official remix for Desilla Rue. Um, I make uh, some other remixes that I can talk about that I hope that can be released officially in the near next year and continue working with my label Feverball and my radio show Feverball 2 and maybe a a gig a a tour in England Talking up with my agent, agent uh, Karen from the Codans Agency from the next year, maybe uh, touring TVs and Europe, you know, that kind of, of things. But all the, everything depends on the lockdown, you know. If we, we need, we have a lot, another lockdown. I don't know. Nobody knows that. But I hope so that this uh, pandemic ends soon and we can back to the normal life again, mm-hmm. um, you know. How has, how has it been there where you are in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, Argentina, during, this, during the, the, the lockdown and the pandemic? Oh, it was crazy because we had the, lo- the longer lockdown in the world. So it was very hard. Um, and the government don't 
don't do it well. Uh, the, the, the president said, don't go out, don't make parties, don't make celebrations with families. And at the same time, the president is making celebrations with his families and other people. So people were very angry about that. And, but, well, my, my, my boyfriend lost his job. So it was very difficult because with my music, I need to pay my bills, you know, and I don't have a gig. So I only have a can do make, make music. That's only I can do. So it was a little difficult. And, but now, for thank God, now it's more open. Uh, I can I have gigs in the end of December. I will go to to Uruguay to play for Head Candy. And uh, what will be my first gig, international gig in two years. So I'm I'm very excited and a little nervous about that. <sighs> And now that this record is out, I'm a rainbow, recovered and recolored. How do you feel now that it's it's out there in the world? I can't describe in words. You know, it's um, I'm very very happy, but happy happiness is not enough to to explain how I feel. Mm-hmm. It's more than happy. You know, it's you know it's it's incredible. Is mm-hmm. my dream come true because uh, Donna Summer, I, I grew up with the music from Donna Summer, Michael Jackson, Shannon Jackson, Whitney mm-hmm. Houston, you know, Madonna, that kind of artist. So for me, it's, wow, I'm part of her history now. Yes. That is incredible. Amazing. Good yes. for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I have to say thank you so much for your time, for your energy, and for some great, great music on Donna Summer's I'm a Rainbow. Thank you, ladies on Mars. Thank you so much, Mark Tara, for the invitation. I'm so sorry for my bad English, you know. I'm, try- <laughs> I, I, I'm studying, I'm, in, I'm improving uh, with my English. You were perfect. No, no. You were perfect. I promise for the next interview... <laughs> I will, my English will improve more, okay? Uh, if you insist, okay. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay. And send you a big love from Buenos Aires, Argentina. Oh, thank you. Big hugs from Toronto, Canada. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> For all things ladies, check out Jonathan's website, ladiesonmars.com. Hi, I'm writer Adam Smith, author of Deep Sniff, A History of Hoppers and Queer Futures. You're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara. So at the beginning of this special episode, I mentioned that chronologically, I'm a Rainbow Falls between the albums 1980s The Wanderer and 1982's self-titled album Donna Summer, produced by 
Quincy Jones. Well, here's a clip from a 1982 interview from The Paste Vault, where Donna talks about working with Quincy Jones, but pay special attention, because it's a short clip, to when Donna starts talking about her creativity going in a particular direction that her record company didn't like. Well, I guess we got to a point, Giorgio and I and Pete, where we, Giorgio, Pete and I, excuse me, where um, our creativity had come to a point where we all felt that we were going in a particular direction. That direction, unfortunately, was not the direction that my record company liked. And so we, we, we kept tending to go in that direction, and we recorded a series of songs and spent a fortune in the studio. And uh, and they still weren't pleased with what we were coming up with. So it was, I mean, you can't give a company something that they don't want to push. You know, I mean, it's that's obvious that if they're not happy, you're not going to be happy with the results of what they're out there to do. And so as a result, uh, we got in touch with Quincy, and he consented eventually to do the album. He found the right, you know, he had a, for some reason he had the time. And we decided to do uh, it with Quincy because we felt he, first of all, had a little bit more, a little bit more, a lot more R&B bass. And just there were, you know, there was another side, a different color. And to try it for a change, you know. I don't feel that I will never work with Georgia again. I, I love Georgia. We're like brother and sister, you know. A pretty interesting clip. So this is a little gay radio show that airs across Canada from coast to coast to coast. Up next is a really short clip from a 2006 Canadian interview from City News where Donna talks about her Canadian connection. I love Toronto. My grandparents are Canadian. Yep, they're both from Nova Scotia. Grandmother and my grandfather are both from Nova Scotia. So they're, you know, my mother's side, my mother's first generation American. I have a little history with you, sweetie. Hi, I'm Garrett Conley, author of Boy Erased, a memoir. You're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara. Just like that, this little gay journey through Rainbow Country has come to an end. Donna Summers, I'm a Rainbow, Recovered and Recolored, is out now wherever you get your favorite music. Streaming, digital downloads, and vinyl. To keep up to date with the show, make sure you follow me on socials at Mark Tara Music. The podcast is available on all major platforms, including audible.com. And finally, I want to take this time to thank you for taking your time to be with me. Remember, stay well and stay safe. Hi, this is Michael Anthony Alago, music executive, photographer, author, And you are listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara.